We're going to read verse 17 through uh, to verse 31. What happened here was that the Apostle Paul was on his way to Jerusalem to take the offerings of the churches of Asia to those who were in Judea, uh, more so in Jerusalem, struck by famine. And uh, now he is uh, farewelling the people as he was on his way to Jerusalem. And we know when he got there and he gave them the offering of the people, he was also arrested and he ended up in jail. So now he's in Ephesus and he calls the elders of the church, the leaders there. And uh, he said to them in verse 17, oh well, from verse 17 we pick up the story from Miletus. Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived in uh, the whole time I was with you. For from the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have uh, taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of all men. I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God with which he bore his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. May the Lord add his blessing to his blessed word. His name be glory and honor. Amen. The theme for the service today is the flock of the Lord under attack. The flock of the Lord under attack. And I think that we need to know and understand from both these paragraphs we read from the scriptures, both from Ezekiel chapter 22 and this in Acts chapter 20, the attack and the major attack is from within. It is not like the world is waltzing into the church 
it is that the church is waltzing into the world. We need to understand that. But let's have a little bit of a history lesson today, just for the sake of the children. And you might, in your mind's eye, everyone think, well, that is typical of an assembly of elders and ministers. You know, every year we go for an assembly. So it's not like the, the lady who asked the minister, what do you do with presbytery meetings? Why do you need to go to the presbytery meetings so often? And he thought, well, he'll cut it short and he will not necessarily go into all the detail. He said, what we do is they, we exchange sermons. That's what we do there. And she said, now, how is it that you always got the bad ones? But there was an assembly. And uh, about 300 elders and ministers assembled, coming from right across the known Christian world. And they had a debate, which on the surface might appear to have all the signs of your typical debate and assemblies. What was... The main thing, well, it went on for days. And the point was, should they include a letter I into a word or not? Should they include the letter I into the word or not? And I know by now you think, what a waste of time. There were two sides to this debate. One side was led by the leader of the church in Alexandria, which was in North Africa, and the other was led by a bishop who had previously been censured over his views regarding the person of Jesus Christ. This person's name was Arius. In his zeal to guard the church against what was known as Sabellianism, which I won't go into detail, but it basically denied the trinity of the Godhead, Arius went to the other extreme and taught that the Father existed before the Son, and therefore he said that there was a time that the Son did not exist. Therefore, he said, the Son was created by the Father, and therefore, although the Son was the, elder, was the highest of all creatures, he was not of the essence of God. This was crucial in this debate, and this is where the letter I comes in. The biblical truth of the teaching of Christ and his person is that he is of the same essence as the Father. He was not of similar essence, but he was of the same essence. And in the Greek, to express that, you would need the letter I. If you'd say that Christ is of the same essence of the Father, you would say in Greek, he'd be homoousios. If you would say he is of similar essence, you would say he is homoousios. Just an eye. Had the church gone wrong then, we would have been nothing different from the Jehovah's Witnesses 
teaching that Jesus Christ is not the Son of God. As a matter of fact, we find ourselves along the Muslims in our understanding of who Christ is. We would have been robbed of the divine Savior who brought us into the right relationship with the Father in order to be saved. Indeed, we would be robbed of biblical theology. What gave the victory here? Leaders who could see the truth for what it was and the lie for what it is. Without such leaders, the church of the Lord, as in many instances in history, went off the rails and it took, in many cases, a lot of grace over many, many years to restore the spiritual health of the church again. And in many cases, it calls for a complete new church or denomination. In short, we are constantly in need of diligent elders who would defend the church of the Lord against the attacks of, uh, 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 against the attacks of, the, uh, of the church, of the enemy of the church, and those who belong to Him. Because what we read in the scriptures today is that there are savage wolves, wolves who want to destroy the flock of the Lord Jesus. And that's why Paul then calls the, 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 uh, the elders and he says to them, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among you, your own men will arise. Doing just that. The church in Ephesus was something special. Paul spent three years of his life teaching the people and preaching to them longer than in any other of the churches. Paul's ministry in Ephesus was marked by several spirit-empowered miracles. As a result, the city became a center of, for evangelistic outreach to the rest of the province of Asia. In fact, so many people in Ephesus turned to Christ and renounced their pagan ways that some craftsmen in the city started a riot because the gospel threatened their trade of making and selling idols. And yet, Paul says, from among you, men will arise and they will be savage wolves tearing apart the flock of the Lord. It didn't take long for that to happen. It all depends on how we date this letter and also the book of Revelation. But it seems between 10 and 30 years after these words were written, the Lord Jesus Christ had his servant, Apostle John, write letters to the churches in Asia Minor. And there's another letter for, for Ephesus there. I know your deeds and your toil and your perseverance and that you cannot tolerate evil men and that you put to the test those who call themselves apostles and they are not and you found them to be false. 10, 20, maybe 30 years. And things went that bad in that congregation that some of the leaders, and maybe one by the name of Nicholas, because he formed the group called the Nicolaitans, 
They started a new teaching. And who was this Nicholas? We are not absolutely sure, but according to all indications, Nicholas was one of the first group of men to be made deacons in the church in Acts chapter 6. There was a man trusted by the church, given some responsibility within a church. His heart was not in it, not completely. And he allowed a woman in that church, and we're not so sure, or that's actually a church of Pergamos, we're not so sure if her real name was Jezebel, and if she was just given that name because of her teaching. But he gave her free reign within the church. And, say, and so they then allowed what was called uh, this teaching. Same as you know that in those, those days, in the early days when, when Balak, the, uh, the king, called for Balaam and he said, could you please come and curse these people as they are passing through into the Holy Land? And of course, uh, Balaam couldn't do that because the Lord shut his mouth so that he wouldn't curse the people. But what he said to Balak, the king then, in the end, he said, if you want to win these people, if you want to win these people, corrupt them from within. Invite them to your, to your festivals. Invite them to worship with you and allow them to have some of your women as their wives. And that led to intermarriage and sexual immoralities connected with the Moabite religious practices. You see what these people did is they said, we are so free in Christ and we stand so firm in Christ that we can actually go to the pagan temple still in, in Athens and we are elevated above these people even if we even if we then commit these this, uh, 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 sexual immoralities, that we will not be caught by that. And so they watered down the gospel. This was probably what Paul had in mind when he called the elders of Ephesus together and warned them against the wolves who would attack and destroy the flock of the Lord if they could. They were prepared now and they could resist the attack and that's exactly what it says there in that, that you tested them and you found that they were false apostles. Elders were the first wall of resistance as they were spiritually equipped to see the enemy for what it was. They were also doctrinally prepared for the attack and they could provide leadership when it was needed most. There was a time, of the, that's what I hear, there was a time within the history of the Presbyterian Church where people were made elders because they were good leaders in public. I've spoken to how many elders who said, I know, I know, I, I should not be in the eldership, but the minister just walked up one day and he said to me, you look like a very good person, I think, and uh, the, 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 uh, the rest of our society would look up to you and we're going to make you an elder. 
and he was made an elder. And he had no idea, had no idea of what it means to defend the flock of the Lord. You see, what happens is there's always backsliding. Apostasy, that's the word they, the apostasy, the, black, the backsliding because of the bad leaders. And we read, read about that in Ezekiel, about the tragic position in Israel before the Lord took them into captivity. Just look at another few portions out of that book. We read in Ezekiel chapter 10, 13, 10 to 12. It is definitely because they have misled my people by saying peace, and there is no peace. And when anyone builds a wall, behold, they plaster it with whitewash. So tell those who plaster it over with whitewash that it will fall. That is to say to people, it's not as bad as you thought. Don't feel bad about your sin. Another verse, Ezekiel chapter 34. Woe, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock. Those who are sickly you have not strengthened. That is diseased you have not healed. And the broken you have not bound up. And the scattered you have not brought back. Nor have you sought for the lost. And then in the midst of the moment of spiritual leadership needed. I searched for a man among them who would build up the wall. And stand in the gap, in the gap before me for the land. So that I would not destroy it. But. I found none. No one to stand up and defend. Because this is what spiritual leaders need to do. They need to stand in the gap on behalf of the people to protect them against the attack of the enemy. Who would use this gap in the wall as an entry point to attack and destroy the people of God's city. The people were left defenseless while the spiritual leaders fed, fed themselves of the riches of the people's offerings. And about and for the spiritual well-being of the people, no one could be bothered. That's why Jude then writes in his letter, I felt, it uh, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints, for certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long before in marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. There are a few important things in this verse that we need to take note of. Firstly, Jude, the brother of our Lord Jesus, the brother of James, who was the leader of the church in Jerusalem, who at first did not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as his Lord, but later the Lord God revealed that to him so he would bow before his earthly brother or his half-brother to worship him as king. He now writes to the people and he says, I urge you, I urge you, I appeal, 
appeal to you. I beg you. It is important. I implore you. It's not a matter of an option. Be on your guard. Secondly, he says, it is an, we are engaged in a battle. The word describes an intensive, arduous, drawn-out fight. There is nothing passive, nothing peaceful or easy about it. It is a mighty battle on behalf of the truth for the faith of the Word of God. Why? Thirdly, there is a faith handed down to us, a once-for-all faith. And that means that the Bible as a whole is a set of closed truth statements to which man can add nothing or take nothing away. And that is precisely why we should defend it. We have boundaries and limitations because it is defined, it is defendable. It's not a wishy-washy teaching about this and that and the other. It is defined, it's God's will, and therefore for what's inside we must contend. We must be willing to be involved in a battle. Fourthly, why? Because some people crept in unnoticed. You see? Unnoticed. To twist and distort the gospel to suit their own desires. It is to take it by stealth. I remember in my days in the South African army when uh, we defended the borders of what is now known as Namibia. The war was a terrorist war. The most difficult to defend. Why? Because the terrorist who plants the landmines by night is also the one buying his bread at the local shop, riding home on his bicycle to commit the same act of terrorism that night, and then claims victory by stealth. You just don't know who they are. And that is why we need spiritual leaders who are mature in faith. Elders who can wage a battle even if it means a long, dragged-out confrontation. Leaders who are willing to defend whatever it costs. Leaders who would say, does it need an eye or not? Not saying, well, if you think so, well, go for it. What an abomination in our day that leaders don't even know what they need to defend. The worst thing to ever hit the men out on guard is that while they are willing to risk their lives for the safety of others and the truth, their leaders are selling them out. Just because they became so weary of the battle that they are willing to make peace at any cost. Oh, this is happening in our day. This is happening in our day. Christians have become tired of the battle. And in the name of love and forgiveness, everything needs to be put on the altar. John, John MacArthur writes in a book, he says, when the Lord calls us to be his people, he does not want us to be his 
uh, to act like, like diplomats, trying to work out a peaceful way to get through this battle, he calls us to be soldiers. My personal opinion of how the war was won in Namibia was exactly for this reason. And I say this is my personal opinion. And I was there, I went, I went there five times to be on the battlefield. Although the enemy never won the battle, and although there was no hint that the army was losing the war in any way, shape or form, the authorities became weary and tired of the ongoing battle and the terrorists demanded negotiated dialogue to end the conflict and then the end was in sight. And today the then enemy is in government who lost the war. Worse than that, those who fought the war were asked to apologize for doing so. What does it teach us? If the leaders of the church become weak and weary of the battle, they swap their combatant role for a diplomatic role. In any dialogue with the enemy, compromises must be the plain outcome. And we find ourselves in the slippery slope of apostasy. Just a few modern-day examples, and I won't go into too deeply, but I, I read this and I was absolutely shocked. I was shocked to my soul. The first thing, there is something called the emerging church today. <clears throat> now, the emerging church are those who would like to bring the gospel to a postmodernistic society. Now, we need to bring the gospel to a postmodernistic society, but we do it the biblical way. Postmodernism is one of those things that would say there's no truth. If you proclaim the truth and you say this is the truth, that's an offense. Who are you to say that this is the truth? I might have the truth too. Everyone has the truth. Don't come with your story and say that you are the truth. So that's what they then do, these the emerging church. They come with a gospel that suits this and they say, Well, we're going to bring you the gospel, but you know, you never know. So Brian McLaren writes, sit down here next to me in this little restaurant and I and ask me if Christianity in brackets, my version of it, yours, the Pope's, whoever's, is orthodox, meaning true. And here's my honest answer. A little but not yet. Assuming by Christianity that you mean the Christian understanding of the world and God, Christian opinions on soul, text, and culture, well, I'd have to say that we probably have a couple of things right, but a lot of things wrong. Why would you bother going to the world with a gospel like this? The emerging church, when you hear this, sit up. Listen. It's a danger. But, listen to this. Last year, over 100 theologians, ministry leaders, and prominent pastors 
have thus far signed the response letter issued by the Yale Center for Faith and Culture. Signers include Rick Warren, founder of the Antinia Pastor of Saddleback Church, who is also known for the 40 Days of Purpose or 40 Days of Purpose Driven Church and all these things. John Stott, rector emeritus of All Souls Church in London, and I couldn't believe this. I just couldn't believe this. And also Brian McLaren, we just read from. Leaders urged, these leaders who put their names down, urged for an interfaith dialogue that moves beyond polite ecumenical talks between selected leaders. Instead, leaders of both faiths, Christianity and Muslim faith, should hold dialogues to build relations that will reshape the two communities to genuinely reflect our common love for God and for one another. And it states, given the deep fissures and the relationships relations between Christians and Muslims today, the task before us is daunting and the stakes are great. The future of the world depends on our ability as Christians and Muslims to live together in peace. If we fail to make every effort to make peace and come together in harmony, you correctly remind us that our eternal souls are at stake as well. We need to come together and say, well, Muslims, Christians, you worship the same God. Why would you fight all the time? And you get people of the stature of a John Stott, Rick Warren, Brian McLaren, and others. And they say, we need to do this. I'm afraid. I'm afraid I see the picture of a savage wolf in sheep's clothing. What more of the truth are we going to put on the altar of peace before we realize that we actually disown our Lord? Who will stand in the gap of the people on behalf of the people before God? Today's definitions of marriage and sexuality knock on our door every day every day and even good church people even good church people and I hope that you are not one of them and if you are one of them please in the name of God repent of it now say well well you know times are changing we need to accommodate new thoughts we can't forever hate the homosexual people. You know, it's, it's, it's something that's happening. And if people to people of the same gender want to live together, well, we need to love them. Now, even more acute than is in the time of Jude, we need to take heed of the words of Paul, Peter, and Jude. Savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Content earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. For certain peoples have crept in unnoticed. 
Peter writes, there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them. We are in need of strong, mature, spiritual leaders. We are looking for elders who stand by the word of God, people who are willing to give their lives for the truth of the gospel, people who will do whatever it takes to defend the flock of the Lord against the attack of the evil one, people who will never compromise on the truth, people who will spur on others to engage in this battle of truth. We are going to elect elders. Look for people like that. Let us pray. Our Lord, we, we mourn, we mourn about the state of the church. And Lord, we are so concerned about people that we looked up to for many years if it seems like things have just gone wrong. Oh Father, we pray, forgive us. We pray that you will give us men of of stature, men, men of, 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 of faith, men who would stand in the gap for the people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.